Blog Talk Radio. Choices, decisions, frustrations, and pain. Knowing I'm going to forget her someday. While I still can, I'll challenge all my loved ones, every friend, to look inside their hearts and understand that I. Well, hello and welcome, everybody, to Alzheimer's Speaks Radio. I'm your host, Lori LeBay, and I just love doing this show. Today, we have a wonderful, wonderful um, lineup for you, and I'm very excited to, to get to that. But again, we always get new listeners, and so I like to just take in the beginning um, a little bit of time to tell you who Alzheimer's Speaks is and what we're up to and and why we feel what we're doing is so very important to society at large. Um, bottom line, I developed Alzheimer's Speaks uh, to shift our dementia care culture and to give voice to all around the world, those living with the disease, those caring for people who are dealing with it, both patients and family and friends and workplaces, as well as researchers and advocates, musicians, authors, um, movie producers. It's just a, it's just really been fun to hear everybody's voice and to be able to give hope. Um, in a disease that is, you know, packaged and sold as so devastating. Um, people are living rich, full lives, and there's lots of support out there. And so I hope, <clears throat> I hope you'll stay with us today uh, to, to learn more. Now, one of the things that I do ask of our audience, <clears throat> excuse me, that is not my Skype garbling, that is my throat. I don't know if any of you guys are having problems with allergies, but but this girl is, <laughs> so if you have any remedies, please let me know. Um, anyways, I, I do ask our audience, if you enjoy the show, if you can share the episode on your Facebook, it's just a click, um, email it to people if you are a business and would like to um, embed this this. Uh, particular episode into your site, you can do that. All these things are really one-click ready. If you belong to a Google group um, or your LinkedIn or if you tweet, all of these little clicks are so important. And that's not about, you know, get Lori LeBay's program out there because I don't even feel this is my program. I feel this is the world's voice. And all we're doing is joining together collaboratively to share information and to help those out in need, and to educate those that don't even realize what a massive, massive crisis we're in with Alzheimer's disease and other dementias. Um, So again, if you can help us out there, we'd love that. We also like to have our audience participate in the conversation. And there's two ways you can do that. One, you can call in live if you'd like to talk to us live at 714 three six four four seven five seven that's seven one four three six four four seven five seven or you can always use the chat box 
um, to communicate with us, and I will be monitoring that as the show goes along. Now, every once in a while, because this is Internet radio, we might get a little garbled voice, but hang with us. Usually it's only a few seconds, and I would hate for you to learn, lose valuable content in the rest of the show just because of a few seconds of garbledness. Um, One of the things I've learned through my journey with my mom in 30 years is the little things aren't nearly as important as the big things and to look at the big picture and where the value is in things. It's also taught me tolerance, um, which I think is, um, for me anyways, is really needed when it comes to technology. So again, um, uh, thank you all for listening. Thank you for spreading the word and making us the number one recognized influencer for Alzheimer's on the Internet, according to ShareCare and Dr. Oz. It's just a phenomenal recognition. And again, we sure as heck didn't do that alone. We're just facilitating the conversation. Um, that is a That is something I think we can all take pleasure and pride in. As far as um, highlighting things, people are always asking me, where do I go? Um, And I get this question from people all over the world if I'm looking for support. And one of the fantastic places people can go is the Alzheimer's Association. So the easiest way to find your Alzheimer's Association in your area is to go to Alzheimer's Disease International. They're known as ADI. And you can just Google that, or you can go to www.alz.co.uk. Again, that's www.alz.co.uk. Um, the other thing is people are always asking about studies, and there's a great tau study going on right now, and it's in its third trial, and that is done uh, with Alzheimer's studies. So again, you can Google Alzheimer's studies, or you can find them on Facebook. There they go by the Alzheimer's team. But again, it would just be www.alzheimersstudies.com. And then many people have different types of dementia. And I'm just starting to um, align with various associations right now so that we can get the word out for these different types of um, of dementia. So the Lewy Body Dementia Association is real easy to remember because it's just www.lbda.org for Lewy Body Dementia Association.org. And uh, we're going to be uh, working and having the aphasia people on here shortly, and we're working with others. So if any of you listening out there are connected with organizations um, that are organizations of different types of dementia, please have them contact me because, again, I just think there's so many different types, and we all need to get educated, including me. I've been in this for 30 years, but by far I don't know everything. And things are constantly changing. So I think it's a great way that we can share information and learn together. And I would be amiss if I didn't talk about the Purple Angel Project, um, which is the new global symbol for dementia. And they're starting to use it in hospitals. It's, It's really taking flight over in the U.K., and I would very much like to see that lift off here in the U.S., I am working with um, one town here, an organization in Wisconsin, and we are hoping to be the first dementia-friendly city 
in October. But we'll see. Maybe someone will beat us to it, and that that would be just fine. If we were second or third or 12th, it doesn't matter. This isn't a competition. This is just about doing the right thing in the time that you have with the resources that you have and joining forces together. Um, so I think I'm going to mention two other things that are more for entertainment and engagement. One is Puzzle With Me, which is a company that um, makes puzzles that are larger size that a person with dementia can do either alone or you can you know, work on a puzzle together. But they're just easier to handle. They're all research-based. And then, of course, uh, music first with Coral Health. I just absolutely love music, know the power of music. Um, I still see it with my mom in her end stages, how it inspires her. And so um, go ahead and check out Coral Health, and that's C-O-R-O-Health.com. So with no further ado, let's get into this program, because it is really quite exciting today. Um, I... Uh, kind of fell into um, a conversation with Ramsey Barrara, and he has a 30 years experience as an estate planner and an elder law attorney. He and I hooked up through LinkedIn. I don't know how many of you out there use LinkedIn, but LinkedIn is incredible, uh, just an absolutely incredible way to connect with other professionals uh, to learn and to share knowledge with. Um, he basically represents individuals and families that are both in simple and really sophisticated um, estate planning strategies. And he also provides families with special needs, whether it's children or adults, um, on estate planning matters. Um, Mr. Uh, Barari hosts and produces a television show called Your Money and Your Life. Um, and the show is really dedicated to educating the public on issues particularly relevant to those over 50 when it comes to estate planning, elder law, elder services, financial planning, and medical care. And most of us just bundle that all up into a package and go, you know, they'll take care of it. But it's really important for us to understand what this is all about his show is actually distributed to 30 states, and he's appeared as a speaker on elder issues in local senior centers and social organizations and legal forums. Um, Mr. Barari is, uh, has also appeared on, as a guest on several different um, radio programs in Massachusetts, New Hampshire, Florida, and Utah. So welcome. How are you doing today, Ramsey? I'm doing great, and Lori, thank you for inviting me on the program and giving me this opportunity. Well, and I should ask you up front, because when we talk off air, I always call you Ramsey, but would you prefer that I call you Mr. Ferrari, because I can easily no, do that. Ramsey is absolutely fine. Okay. I think, you know, when we're dealing with with these types of issues, I, I think the more casual and personal that uh, we can be, I, I think just opens the door to ease the conversation because this is a stressful topic. I mean, you're, you know, this is life and death and, you know, protecting assets and, you know, do I have enough money to live? These are big, big things that you work on. And so, uh, you know, for me personally, I like it when I, 
can feel comfortable enough to be able to call somebody by their first name and um, not feel so formal. And I don't know if our guests feel that way or not um, in our audience, but I know for me it just kind of lessens my nerves there. You have just a massive amount of experience in this field, and in conversations with you, I know you're just as crazy as I am in terms of you know, spreading the word and tackling technology to try to do it, um, which isn't always an easy thing to do, you know, to break new ground. And so I really applaud you for doing that because I do think it's a it's a high, high need and it's evident with your reach and the syndication of your program um, how important this is. So um, before we start, I just want to say thank you for all you for all you do from all of us. Well, so thank, let's, thank you for your kind comments. Mm-hmm. Let's um, roll into the first question that I have for you. And um, it might seem a little bit basic, but, you know, boomers are getting older. I, I think we finally all realize that we can't deny that, and I'm definitely one of them. So what are the five most important issues for people to address as they age? And, and needless to say, um, a person with dementia is no different. These these issues are still with them, you know, if, we're, if we've got a disease or not. This is just good business planning, I would imagine. And please correct me if my assumptions are wrong, um, because you're not going to embarrass me. That's what we're here to do, is to, to clear the air and give good advice that, if at all possible, okay? Okay, well, with regard to important issues, um, first of all, before I get into that, let me just quickly explain uh, what I do in my law office and why I do the videos that I do and why I do the speaking engagements and come on to radio shows. My goal is threefold. It's to educate, it's to motivate, and it's to inspire. Now, in order, the purpose of the educating is to make people aware of these issues. Hopefully the education will motivate them to move on and change their behavior. And then the inspiration, hopefully, is the stimulation that they need to go on and change that behavior. So that's that's why I do what I do. Now, with regards to the um, important issues, the Boy Scouts have a motto, and that motto is be prepared. Mm-hmm. People not just Boy Scouts, need to be prepared as well. And unfortunately, people don't acknowledge that they will someday live with an age-related disability and therefore don't prepare for that. I believe that preparation has to start by considering the fact that you may have an age-related disability and then considering the available elder care, the available housing, uh, consider your health history in order to be able to do all of that, Consider your financial issues. Consider lifestyle issues. Consider your legal documents. All of that has to be considered, in my view, as one package. And unfortunately, people don't do that. Unfortunately, they act in crisis mode when there's a diagnosis of a, of a serious condition. They act. Or when they see there's a, an issue with their finances, they act. Or when they realize that the big home that they're living in, they cannot sustain, they cannot stay in that home anymore. They either can't sustain it financially or they just can't handle the stairs or or whatever the case may be. Then they take action. It is my view, um, based on what I have seen from my clients, that decisions that are made in crisis 
are usually bad decisions. Decisions that are made when things are calm, when you've had an opportunity to reflect and an opportunity to to understand the decision you should be making, those are usually decisions that are good decisions. And that's what I want to help people do, make good decisions. Well, and I so agree with you. It's like, you know what, there's enough pressure when you're under crisis and, and in the mix, so don't add to it. I mean, you know, we should be proactive. We shouldn't be fearful of of having these discussions. I mean, we all understand good business, but for whatever reason, we're scared to take that on sometimes in our personal life and say, you know, this is, you know, this would just make my life run smoother if I had these right. ducks in a row. And so I think sometimes it's just taking that, that simple philosophy that we get in our workplace and applying it at home and going, this shouldn't be scary. You know, so much of what we do is um, driven by fear. And wouldn't it be much more um, fun and comfortable if it was driven by hope? You know, and knowing I absolutely, that you, I absolutely agree. Yeah, knowing that you're doing the absolute, absolute best you can do. Um, so, as far as you know, and I loved what you said about, you know, your focus is really to educate and motivate and inspire. Um, those are not things that I think I typically hear um, from an attorney's mission statement. <laughs> You know, and so to me, that's really, really refreshing. Um, you know, to to uh, to hear that. You know, where you're coming from, and and why it's it's so so important for people. So, can you just um, highlight again the five most important issues that that people need to address? Just well, boom, boom, boom. The the, the, fir- the first one is is be is be prepared. And um, mm-hmm. what what I like to quote to to people who tell me, you know, I've got plenty of time for that tomorrow, I don't need to worry about being prepared today, is I like to bring to their attention a quote from Shakespeare's The Tempest, which is, what is past is prologue. What Mm -hmm. that means, basically, is what we do or what we don't do in our younger years will have a huge impact on our future. It is always better to prepare, and if the contingency doesn't occur, then that's fine, we're ready. But if it does happen and you're not ready, then what are you going to do? So uh, I just want to make sure I I point that out. Um, I mentioned a a moment ago, people will say, you know, I I don't need to plan for this. People also say, which I think is a huge mistake, is, you know, this type of planning is only for wealthy people. Well, Mm -hmm. you know, planning doesn't just include having a trust or having a will. It includes a durable power of attorney includes a living will, includes a health care proxy, includes documents that every person, in my view, from the age of 18 should be considering and should be having. Um, mm-hmm. So it isn't def- definitely not just for the wealthy. Um, another mistake that, that people make, and, and people unfortunately have a historical propensity to defer and even avoid any estate planning, whether, whether that attitude stems from uh, not wanting to think about what may happen in the future, or not want to think about their death, or whether it stems from an inability on their part to actually appreciate the value proposition in making that estate plan. And that's what mm-hmm. I quite frankly think is the problem, is people really don't 
recognize the value proposition in making an estate plan. They can see how it works for a wealthy person who may save money on estate taxes uh, or may be able to pass property to another generation and, and somehow save some money doing that. But they just don't understand the value proposition of having in place the health care proxy, which I have had that in place, a woman who, who was on life support in Florida, we wouldn't have had seven years of courtroom battle amongst the family. Wouldn't have happened because she would have actually had in place in Florida. They don't have health care proxies, but she would have had written will in place and would have stated exactly what she wanted done, and there would have been no dispute over that. But instead, she ended up in a big lawsuit. And of course, if you don't have these documents, some of these documents, then you end up with, as in the Shire vote case, the guardianship proceeding in a state court. Or you can end up with what's called a conservatorship proceeding where somebody's trying to. Um, gain control over someone's finances so that person is no longer competent to handle his or her finances. This can all easily be handled by simple documents called a durable power of attorney, a living will, and a health care proxy. Those documents are um, Ramsey, uh, you're uh, not cutting in and out, but you're fading in and out, and I'm just wondering if your um, your phone, if you're moving that by your mouth at all, or if it's just a technology thing. So I just thought I would mention that uh, to be aware. Okay, I, I to will. Be a- can, can you hear me fine right now? Right now, right now it's good. Yeah, yeah, and it, okay. it could be technology. I've just never had that one happen before. So usually it'll get garbled, but it doesn't change volume. So I just wanted to double check on that because you're you're giving us such good information. I just don't want to lose. I don't want to lose any of that at all. So um, can you kind of tell us what are some problems that are caused, you know, by um, a person not planning? You know, what do people run up against? And maybe you can kind of frame that in the in the world of, of dementia. If someone was diagnosed and they didn't plan, what what could be some of the crisis situations that they're going to be forced to deal with now because of that lack of planning? Well, if, if the person diagnosed with dementia had his or her own bank account and there was nobody mm-hmm. uh, jointly on that account with him or her, uh, that person wouldn't be able to manage that account anymore. And since there's uh-huh. no durable power of attorney in place that would allow a third party to do that, then a conservatorship action in the state court would have to be uh, started. Uh, third parties could object to that. Uh, it's a daunting and an expensive process. Uh, if a person diagnosed with a, with a dementia didn't have a will in place and decided, you know, I been diagnosed with dementia, so let me go out and get that well. Well, I, I as a lawyer, I'm not a medical person, but I know what a little bit about dementia. I can't have that person sign a will, so I need to ask this person a series of questions. And if based on the answers to those series of questions, I don't get the sense that this person, you know, appreciates uh, the, the wealth that he or she has, and, and wealth doesn't have to be a lot. Okay? I mean, the term wealth doesn't necessarily characterize how much money you have. Uh, doesn't appreciate who his or her family members actually are. Well, unless you know those things, you can't really write a will. Uh, mm-hmm. If you're owning property jointly, you, you can no longer convey that property to your surviving spouse or to your children or anything because, again, you don't have the legal competence to do that. Uh, mm-hmm. You're handcuffed. You're handcuffed. Um, it's, it's a 
terrible situation, and, and I'd like to do the planning sooner so that if something like a, a diagnosis of dementia comes along, it's not going to handcuff a family. It's not going to force everything into a probate proceeding or into a guardianship proceeding or into a conservatorship proceeding, which, as I said earlier, can be very daunting, can be very expensive, and it can also divide a family. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it, it's it's really problematic. Uh, now, somebody who doesn't have a dementia, a crisis situation that they can run into is they have, you know, a serious massive heart attack or they develop a cancer. And, again, because they don't have these documents in place, uh, they're not able to take care of their finances so their bills don't get paid. Mm-hmm. Uh, the checks that come in don't get deposited. Uh, I mean, you know, if they've got a rent check that comes in, they have property that they're renting out, that rent check can't get deposited because persons are authorized to do that. It, it's, you know, it's a crisis situation. And so then what planning does somebody do when they're in crisis? Well, they immediately say, well, okay, well, let's, Let's let's try to figure out a way to handle this thing and, okay, let's go run up against a guardianship. Let's do all this stuff. And they start making some very foolish decisions, mm-hmm. uh, decisions that had the person done this five, ten years earlier, they wouldn't have. And then, of course, there's no opportunity. If you, if you are diagnosed with this type of condition, uh, there's no opportunity to do any effective asset protection. Mm-hmm. Would, would take assets and protect them uh, from future creditors. And for a lot of older people, the largest future creditor is the nursing home. And so that's mm-hmm. what they want to protect again. And that becomes difficult to do as well because, you know, uh, each state administers its own Medicaid account, and the Medicaid rules as they're currently written uh, call for a 60-month or five-year look-back period. And any transfers during that look-back period are disregarded. Mm-hmm. Most people will make transfers in the last year or two, and they're all disregarded. You need to do yep. some planning at least 60 months in advance. Well, and isn't that even questionable? I, I've I've heard over and over and over that, you know, it's five years, but it doesn't mean anything because they can change the law, and it, you might not be grandfathered in. Even if you followed the law at that time, it might not, well, you know... So, so far, whenever there's been a, ch- a change with regard to the uh, Medicaid regulations, in Massachusetts it's called MassHealth, and California it's called TallyHealth. You know, like I said, each state administers its its own uh, Medicaid system. Uh, the, the rules have never been retroactive. Now, that's not to say that in the future they may not be. I know Massachusetts is currently considering uh, changing the look-back period from five to seven years. Mm-hmm. And if they do... I'm telling all of my clients that from from the information I have from from um, a service I subscribe to is the Massachusetts legislature will not make it retroactive. It will start on the day the governor signs the bill, seven years forward. So mm-hmm. we're here in Massachusetts, in any event, we're, we're comfortable that whatever law is going to get passed, and it's 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 a regulation. I shouldn't call it a law, a regulation that it's going to it's not going to be retroactive. Well, other mm-hmm. states make it retroactive. They could, and of course, you also have to understand that we're here in 2014. We've got Obamacare that's that's coming in place, and how Obamacare is now going to intersect with uh, Medicaid and with Medicare, and how it's going to change things. And that's that's a whole different show for you. So I'm not going to even get into that. But that's something people have to think about now. How Obamacare mm-hmm. is going to fall, fit into all of this? Yep. Yep. That's uh, well, and, the, and that's on the news every single night. I mean, it's twisting and turning and just craziness, absolutely craziness, you know, with stuff. So it's um, 
you know, and it's stuff we can't control. So, you know, what you're talking about is stuff that, you know, all we can do is the best we can with the knowledge we have at the time. And so to prepare for it is a lot easier to go in and then update and adjust if things change versus to start out fresh and then have this, you know, be in a crisis mode to begin with and then dump this barrel of legal and financial stuff on top of it to know that that's in place and it's like at least that can wait and I can, let let me just, you know, work with my loved one and be where I need to be um, in this space um, you know, during this transitional time just makes so much more sense. But, you know, we just don't, we just don't do it, um, which is so, so strange. Um, but, you know, I was there. And mm-hmm. and um, one of the things I just wanted to say, I you know, I was there and I, I was I was one that poo-pooed it and pushed it off. And, you know, I was like everybody else. And then we decided to talk with my folks because they hadn't done any planning. You know, my dad was a printer, and, you know, my mom worked at Deluxe Check, so they weren't rolling in the dough by any stretch. Um, And so they were a believer that they didn't have enough, you know, that it wasn't necessary. And I... um, I said, you know, you really need to get this done, and this is why, and you you have more than you think you do. And, you know, how do you want, you know, how do you want it to go, you know, once you pass? Where do you want, you know, do you want control over it, or do you want it to be a crapshoot, or do you want the state to get involved? Well, no, we don't, want to, we don't want that to happen. I said, well, then you've got to take some action. And so um, they met with an elder law attorney here, Chris Major in Minnesota, who's one of the top elder law attorneys and is also a good friend of mine. And it was so funny because I brought my folks in and um, Chris said, okay, now you got to get out of the room. And my folks said, no, she's staying with us. And they're like, Chris said, no, we're going to talk turkey. We're going to talk about every single one of your kids. We're going to talk about their spouses. You know, how stable are they? Do they have a drinking or alcohol, you know, drinking or uh, drug problems? You know, could they go on bankruptcy? Are they behind in their taxes? We're going to talk nitty-gritty stuff. And my folks said, no, we want her in here. Lori knows everything anyways. And so I was privileged to sit through that. Um, And it was so um, eye-opening because there's so many things that we don't think about that can impact who we choose. Um, to help us out in these situations, if it's a power of attorney or a trustee or, you know, someone just, you know, on a bank account with you. And it was really eye-opening. And and one of the things that, that we decided as a family was my husband and I and my folks, because they were just battling, you know, going in and meeting on this stuff, was I, I finally talked to my husband and I said, you know what, I'm I'm having a really hard time from an ethical standpoint telling them to do it when we should too. So uh, we, we all did it together. Um, and that took a lot of the scare out of it for, for my folks. And it got us where we should have been to begin with, you know, having this type of protection. So I throw that in just for listeners you know, if you're if you're struggling with a parent or a friend that doesn't want to do it, ask yourself, have you? And if you have, is it time to just update it? And if you do it at the same time and they know they're not alone, um, sometimes that's all they need. Well, I, I congratulate you on that approach. That's a that's a very w- good way of doing things. And 
uh, interesting that you, you you bring that up because uh, I, on occasion, uh, I will have the, the boomer children come in and they'll say, you know, we really need mom and dad to do something, but they really won't come in. And you know, how do we, you know, how do we broach the subject? How do we get them to come in? And I'll say to them, listen, you were just here. Why don't you? Why don't we right now talk about your your stuff? Mm-hmm. And then you go back to them and say you met with the lawyer, and you talked about this estate planning stuff, and it's pretty complicated stuff. And and then ask them, mom and dad, yep. what did you do, and how did you do it? And you'll be amazed that they will tell you if they did something, or they'll tell you if they didn't do something. And then you can start that conversation, and that might impel them to come in at that point because they yep. hear that you're trying to do the very same thing. Yep. So I congratulate it- you on having done that. Well, you know, I I did that in real estate um, a lot. I just saw the fear of being different and the the fear of, oh, this is about the end of my life. And it's not about the end of our life. You know, it's it's about controlling our life while we're here and having a little control when we're gone. You know, making sure that the that what what our um, beliefs are and what our wants are that they move forward. You know, it's a, it's just a good conversation. I mean, you don't want to be hooked up to a, a life support system, and maybe that's against really what you wanted. You know, or or, or maybe it's the other way around. <laughs> you know, well, no, the, to- the other way around works too. And I, and I want your listeners to understand that just because somebody goes out and they get they they get a, a living will, and oftentimes living wills will say, you know, I don't want to be kept alive by any heroic means, I don't want to be resuscitated, et cetera, et cetera. But you know you can do the opposite. You can say, I do want to be kept alive. I do want to be resuscitated. So, I mean, yep. the document can be written both ways. Yeah, and Very that is... people to know that. You're, you're, you're exactly correct. And, I mean, you know, from what I saw, I mean, it can be, you know, as um, technical or as personal as you want it to be. I mean, you can write it in your own words and describe it. Um, and sometimes people talk about doing that, you know, with an addendum and, you know, that it, it injects your feeling and how you've lived your life and why and, and those types of things sometimes can really help family in terms of dealing with it. So, you know, these are important things to think about. I've had actually friends who have had um, adult children get in car accidents and they're paying the medical bills and they can't get any information from the doctor because their kids don't have a power of attorney. So this is not just about end of life. This is not just about disease. This is about protecting your life as you want to live it and know that you've got somebody in your corner um, who has the information if it's needed, you know, so it's it's very very important stuff, um, you know. With with Alzheimer's or dementia, I mean, people get so overwhelmed. Needless to say, um, you know, as soon as they get hit with a diagnosis, um, how is it for you as an attorney to to have to go through all this nitty gritty paperwork when someone's in crisis? I, I, that's just got to be just complicate things so much more. Well, specifically with regard to dementia, uh, pro- problems that I've run run through is, for example, let's let's say we have a husband and wife, and mm-hmm. you know, husband, wife is pretty much a stay-at-home mom, and, and husband was the one with the job, and part of our mom's responsibilities at home was to 
you know, take care of, of, of where the family documents were. That was part mm-hmm. of her responsibility. Mom develops dementia. She can't tell Dad where the documents are. Dad never mm-hmm. knew where the documents were. So they come and see me, and they say, we don't know where the documents are because my wife can't tell me where they are, or vice versa. It could be the opposite, right? Mm-hmm. Um, ma- ma- major, major problem. So what I try to recommend to people, especially with the software that's available today, is that, you know what, um, get yourself a piece of software and, and start, you know, organizing uh, your your life. I mean, mm-hmm. your personal documents, your legal documents, your insurance documents, driver's license, your Social Security card, all that stuff. Put it all in mm-hmm. there. Some, some of these softwares will also print out uh, reports where they can print out a report of every doctor that you're seeing and for what condition and how often you're seeing that doctor, print out all your prescriptions and medication. And, you know, with managed care, oftentimes you need to actually bring all that information when you see a doctor for the first time. Well, if, you, if, you've, if you're able to put all that into a piece of software, all you have to do is push a button. And, of course, you have to keep up with it, obviously, as you change doctors or as more prescriptions are added. You need to add that, um, but you, you've got it at a moment's notice. It makes perfect sense. I run into issues oftentimes where there's just where there's been one person. This is with regard to dementia. I mean, where there's one person who did all the organizing at home. The other person doesn't know where the documents are. And mm-hmm. We've got it now. Fortunately, with regards to deeds to a home, that kind of stuff, we can go online. Registry of Deeds has a website. We can find it and we can download it and print it. But everything else, we don't know where it is. Yeah. Or I'll have people come in with the proverbial shoebox. Oh, shoebox, that's low. Shoebox, that's get the rainbow box. <laughs> the, the what box? The rainbow box. It's a grocery store box, you know. It's oh, just, okay, yeah. And I had... I had uh, put everything, um, again, this is when I was married, I had this weird feeling when I was 40 that I wasn't going to live. It was just like this overwhelming feeling. And so I told my husband, because I did all the finances, I said, if something happens to me, you you are not going to have a clue. So I put everything and I, I took up a whole shelf of three ring binders of all of our stuff and labeled <laughs> it. And it was like, oh, why didn't I do that ages ago? It just made it so much simpler, you know, so much simpler. Yeah, they, they- or you know, you're, abso- you're absolutely right. The, the other issue you can run into with somebody who uh, doesn't necessarily have dementia but has a little bit of, of memory loss, and they, let's, you know, today if you have uh, an online bank account, you, you, mm-hmm. you, you may actually choose no longer to receive a paper statement, but you need a password. And what if that person can't remember his or her password? Yep. Can't get access to the bank statement. Yep. Well, it's a big, and, big and- problem. Well, and just or to the computer in general, you know, um, it might not even just be the bank, but it might be just the computer because a lot of us have, you know, passwords and we have multiple passwords and they're not the same on different ones because some of them require us to update them every time we go in almost. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And I mean, it's hard for us to keep up with them, let alone somebody else. And so, you know, where do you keep those passwords? Um, One thing, there are... um, wristbands out there now and I'm a miss because I can't remember the name of the company but there's there's a few different styles out there that actually have a a UBS um 
little drive in them. And so you can put in basic medical information, contact information. I wouldn't be putting my passwords and stuff on there in case you lost it. Um, But, you know, just to be able to track and help out with that doctor's communication and so forth. So if any of our listeners know of any great wristbands that they use, um, please put those, uh, you know, stick them in the chat box. And we should be using those again. A lot of times we look at it that that's just for the person with dementia. But the care partner, the primary care partner needs one too because what if they got in a car accident and couldn't get home? right. You know, you know, we have to think bigger um, and better than what we're doing at the current thing. Can you tell us what are, uh, like, three of the biggest mistakes that people make as they age? Well, the first thing is as, as people's life progresses, their, their circumstances change. Their finances may change. Uh, the composition of their family may change. Or the needs of, of, of dependent family members may change. And it's important at some point to amend, modify, and review an existing estate plan. And mm-hmm. I I can't tell you how many times I've had somebody walk into my law office with a plan that's 30 years old. Mm-hmm. And it's got named in there as the guardian of their children, somebody who's deceased. And their children uh-huh. are not minors anymore. It's got named in there as the personal representative of the executor under the will, uh, a, a person who's who's got dementia, let's say, or is in a nursing home who can't do the job. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's obvious that this this, this document is long, no longer effective. It's never been reviewed. And then they uh-huh. ask me, well, can we just amend it? I say, listen, it is so old, it is so ineffective, we need to start from scratch. Do you realize that the Massachusetts Statute of Wills has changed at least twice in that time? I wow. said, you know, we, just, we, we need to write you a whole new will. So it's very, very important for people to review. Now, uh, Frankly, not everybody needs to review at the at the at the same pace. Some people need to review annually, and those are usually people who have significant assets. And uh, some people can review every three years. Some people every five years. I think every ten years is a little too long. Because you, mm-hmm. I mean, just take a look at what's been going on with the federal estate tax law. It was changing every year. Yeah, you know, it was and ridiculous. now we have a so-called permanent tax in place. But it's possible that Congress comes along and changes that again. I mean, if you you think of every president we've had. Uh, in the last, let's say, 20 years, under every president, we've had a new tax law. Reagan had a tax law. Bush one had a tax law. Clinton had a tax law. Bush two had a tax law. Obama had a tax law. They each yep. changed tax laws. Yep. You need to keep up with your estate planning documents because those estate planning documents may be affected by those tax laws. Mm-hmm. Good. Very, very good point. And then, of course, if, if if you've got somebody who's using trusts, uh, the law of trusts can change. I mean, here in Massachusetts, re- recently the legislature enacted the Uniform Trust Code, which now changes mm-hmm. what those trusts look like. And it's very important with somebody who has a trust predating that to have it reviewed and make sure that that trust can be brought into conformance with the current law. Mm-hmm. Very few people do that. I have clients of mine for whom I have written trusts, and I've sent them letters, certified mail return receipt requested, saying, I we need to have a review, and I'm willing to do it on a complimentary basis. And I just want to make sure that what you have still works. Yeah. I don't hear back from them, which is a mistake on that part. They may have an ineffective trust. Yeah. Yeah, and you people, know, and then, you know, then we're back into the whole crisis mode again. So you tried to be preventative, um, but it's not a one-time prevention because nothing stays stagnant. It's constantly shifting and changing, and 
And you really need an expert to be able to interpret that, or I sure as heck do, um, because, man, it's complicated. You know, it just... Well, when I, whenever I hear somebody talk about, you know, doing it yourself, and you can, you can, you can go to one of the websites online and you can get a do-it-yourself will, trust, healthcare proxy, power of attorney, the whole nine yards. And mm-hmm. I, I can't compete with those prices. Mm-hmm. But what do you what do you get when you do it yourself? Well, first of all, uh, they don't stand behind the document. Mm-hmm. Uh, you take all of the risk. Um, mm-hmm. You need to go and look up the law and find out what the requirements are uh, under the law. And if you don't have it properly witnessed and properly notarized, or you, uh, in, in some states they allow for what's called holographic wills, which means handwritten, well, Massachusetts doesn't. Um, and Massachusetts has very specific requirements in terms of how it has to be typed and what the paragraphs have to be look like. And look like. And again, I'm only speaking to Massachusetts. Um, it's it, it, the entire burden has been shifted to the consumer in, you know, for, in these in these website situations. So what I tell somebody who says, you know, I'm going to do it myself. I say, listen, if you have trouble reading, you're going to make your own eyeglasses. I go, no, no, I'm going to go to the eye doctor. Mm-hmm. Say, you know what? If you have a legal issue, you do the same thing. Except yep. you're a legal professional. That's all. You just make sure that you get competent, good advice from an experienced lawyer who can lead you in the right direction. And you know, mm-hmm. I mean, you, you do it yourself and you make a mistake, where are you? You're no further ahead. You know? Yep. Um, and you, you asked yeah. me a little bit earlier with regard to uh, issues that. Uh, areas where people make a mistake, and I want to come back to that just for a moment. Um, A lot of times, parents will sort of overlook sibling rivalry issues, which I think is a major mistake, because Mm -hmm. just beneath the surface where everything seems okay, oftentimes there's just a tinderbox of issues, and they many times will explode after mom mom and dad are gone. And mom and dad, while they're alive, have an opportunity handle those issues and they should, in my view. Yeah, well, and it's really common. I mean, there can be the a lot of time, and this happened in my own family. You know, my folks had a cabin, and so they wanted to leave the cabin uh, because they loved the cabin themselves. So they they left it for all three of us. And all three of us um, have very different lifestyles. And you know it's it's complicated and it's not real easy, and you know so sometimes trying to be even and equal isn't always the best um, when it gets down to the whole relationship business. So um, that is something I think really important to talk about. And you know, giving thought to your personal belongings. Is there something special you want to give to a certain individual? You know, write those things down. A lot of times people will take, you know, duct tape and put them on the back of something or on the bottom of something and, you know, write it down. But, you know, have a little inventory list and and let it be known um, to somebody because so often if something happens, you know, people just come in and start grabbing stuff. Or better yet, start giving it away when you can see the appreciation on their face of them receiving it if you don't really need it. You know, start no, that's, reading that's, things that's out. That's a great idea. You know, yeah, I, I, that, the, mm-hmm. oh, go ahead. Uh, I think by by the parents recognizing the sibling rivalry issue, they're they're able they're able to do two things. 
If they can sit down, I'm not saying they can solve the problem, but they can sit down, they can explain their view, meaning the parents' view. They can Mm -hmm. try to maintain some family unity and at the Mm -hmm. same time get some common understanding. So, for example, going with with the scenario you provided, you know, if there's the the cabin house and the cabin house is going to go to somebody, if mom and dad tells everybody that's what's going to happen, not a piece of paper says it, and, you know, they'll come to an understanding and they'll accept it, but when they see it on a piece of paper, they feel hurt. Mm-hmm. And nothing was ever said to them, and that's yep. the problem. They, you need to communicate these things, and I agree with you. It's not easy to do, but it's so yep. important for the for the future welfare of that family. Yeah, and that's a that's a nice way to look at it because I think uh, the future welfare of the family. Um, because I think as parents, I know for myself, and I only have I only have one daughter, so for me it makes it easier, but. You know, I've got nieces and nephews and all of that. And, you know, how is it all looked at? And, you know, how far are you going to stretch out? Or, you know, some people like to donate their money, especially with with Alzheimer's disease. Um, you know, it has that been discussed? Because, you know, you just hate to see these family feuds that, that happen after the fact. And, and they can a lot, um, you know, come into play. Or... Again, with dementia, when is somebody competent? You know, um, do you want a voice in that yourself uh, ahead of time? Some people are starting to um, videotape or even make documentation in terms of this is when I want my, my license pulled. This is when I want you to take away the keys in case I don't know. These are the signs that I feel are critical, you know, and that, and that helps the family, you know, make those tough decisions because the person with dementia may or may not be logical and accepting of their own words um, or their own video because they may or may not recognize themselves at that point or their thinking process may have changed. But in the family's soul, it'll make it a little less stressful saying we had this discussion, we were proactive, these these were their wishes, you know, um, and then being able to p- frame it um, in a way that this is the disease talking and, and that's why we've got this rough spot. But we talked about this um, openly and they were very adamant. These are, these are the signs and this is what they wanted me to do. So, you know, with dementia, it's almost kind of like a do not resuscitate. There there can be different things that come up. Dri- the, dri- the two that stand out to me are driving and um, when should I be placed? When is it time for me that I can't live at home anymore? And that's a difficult one for both family and a person with dementia. Um, you know, but the people with dementia that I talk to say over and over, you know, they never want to, you know, harm their loved one or jeopardize their household. And, um, you know, most of them say, hey, if it's time, you know, put me away. It's okay. I'll get better care there. That's what I'm just going to need at that time. But as couples, many times those conversations are not had. And it it is very important. There, there sometimes are creative ways that, that some of these issues can be broached. For example, I, I was I was aware of a situation where there was a um, a, a widow, and her family wanted her to go to 
adult day services, and she absolutely didn't want to go. And they were talking with the uh, provider, and the provider was like, she doesn't want to come, there's nothing we can do. And then she was talking with a gerontologist, and the gerontologist mm-hmm. said, no, why don't you try it this way? Why don't you have the adult day provider contact mom and say, gee, mom, would you like to have a job? And if she says mm-hmm. yes, then she'll come every day and she'll do an eight-hour shift. At the end of the week, you take mom's money, put it in an envelope, put mom's name on there, and have the adult pay people enter the envelope. Mm-hmm. Mom went to adult pay faithfully, eight hours a day, until she passed away. Mm-hmm. Because of the way it was, because of the approach it was taken. Yeah. Instead of you know, telling her, you've got to go, and bullying her, it became her idea. Yeah, big, big difference. Our our approach um, is huge, you know, and we really have to think how would we like to be addressed in these in these various situations? What would we want? And you know, knowing that what we want might not be what's best for the other person because you know they're not the same. Even you can have your very best friends or or your spouse, you might be, you know, really socially just a social butterfly and they might be an introvert. And so they're going to need a different approach. They're going to need a different living environment. Um, And we so often just think, well, I like it. So everyone else is going to like it. And we have to, if we're going to be person-centered, we have to think about what would this person want? How is this going to affect them? How would this have affected them before they had dementia? You know, that's a real good sign to look at. You know, um, Harry Urban is one of the the men who has dementia that's on my dementia chats, and I'll never forget the day he said, you know, I I like to relax before I got dementia. I still do. I don't have to be busy all the time. But sometimes we, we think you know, that someone has to be engaged all the time because it makes us feel better, like we're doing something. Um, but we have to really look at the person's wishes and those things would be great to be documented. And if not documented, at least have the conversation. But I think when you're meeting with, with someone like yourself, um, it's an ideal opportunity to open the door to a friendly conversation um, that really is about just life in general. You know, how do we want to live? Because that's really right. what, you, a, what you do. I, I have I've written a, a book, and it's with an editor right now, and hopefully we will get it published before the end of this year. And the title of the book is Live for Today, Plan for Tomorrow. And that's really mm-hmm. what I try to do with my clients. I, I try to explain to them that you want to live today, you want to enjoy today, you want to enjoy yourself as much as possible. But then when there's a detour on the road of life or if there's an emergency or a crisis situation that comes on, you plan for it, you're ready. Yeah, exactly. I do want to just put a shout out to our listeners right now. If anyone has a question or a comment, please use the chat box or you can go ahead and and call into the show and I would be glad to to take that call and um and uh We'll, we would move forward from there. Um, and I should probably also mention that, you know, Ramsey can't give legal advice. You know, I mean, that's something that you really have to sit down on a one-on-one. We're talking in general terms with things here. And um, to get you thinking, 
you know, what's what. And if he's not in your area, I'm sure he'd be glad to refer you to somebody in your area if you're not aware of where to go. Because it is important to have someone who really specializes in these elder laws. Um, even for somebody with young onset, um, a lot of the, the information in some ways still applies I would think, and correct me if I'm wrong, Ramsey, in terms of how you would approach estate planning and so forth. Is that a correct statement? In terms of the estate planning, yes, but there's also now a, a new um, regulation with regard to Social Security where somebody who's younger and has been diagnosed with Alzheimer's is now fast-tracked for Social Security. So that's mm -hmm. actually the good news for somebody who has early-onset Alzheimer's. They can actually um, be fast-tracked and get onto Social Security disability, which I think is a good okay. thing. Great. Now, we just have a couple minutes left. I can't believe how fast time has gone. So I want you just to get a little bit in on why do people ignore age-related disability um, insurance, kind of, you know, and, and end-of-life planning? What's, what is your philosophy behind that, and how do we get them around that? Well, I, I think a lot of people basically say, you know, I – I don't think that's going to happen to me. I don't think I'll mm -hmm. get dementia. Or I don't think I'll get cancer. Or I don't think I'll have a massive heart attack. Or I, you know, I don't think I'll have a, a problem. And what I try to get people to focus on is their family health history. Uh, I've had actually clients say, well, I'm here to talk to a lawyer. I, well, why do I have to talk to you about my family health history? I said, because your health, family health history is can, can be, let me rephrase that, can be a, a predictor of what's going to happen mm -hmm. to you. And, and yeah. if so if I have that information, then I can guide you in the right direction in terms of what planning you actually need to do based on that family uh, health history because I don't know what your family health history is unless I ask you. And it's very important that I know what it is. Now, that's not a guarantee that just because you've got a relative that was, that uh, lived with dementia, you had a relative that you know had cancer and died from cancer or you know had a cardiac problem, or, or had a, a deep vein thrombosis, let's say, or, or a brain tumor. I mean, that doesn't mean you're going to get one. But mm -hmm. it is something to look at. And there, there is testing that can be done, as I'm sure you know, to find out whether or not there's a genetic component to a particular condition that can be done. Um, yeah. I'm not recommending that it be done, but it can be done, and you can find out what's going on. But I think it's really, really important for people to recognize that, you know what, given the wonders of modern medicine, we're all going to live longer. And in living longer, we're also going to live with some form of age-related disability. We're going to have joint replacements. We're we may with a dementia. We may end up with, with other issues, and we should plan. And if it doesn't happen, great. But if it does... Yep. Yep, very good. How about um, how to raise and discuss subjects um, such as estate planning and driving? We kind of talked about that. Home health care, though, we didn't talk about, and um, and the future of, of long-term care. Um, do you have some quick tips on that uh, to give to give our audience? Well, with regard to long-term care, uh, f first of all, a lot of long-term care insurance co uh, companies are backing out of the business um, of insuring for long-term care because they're finding it way too risky. Um, for, with regard to long-term care, there's a sweet spot where, where I think people can look at buying it, and that's around age 50, 52, something like that. 
Um, and I say it's a sweet spot because the premiums at that point are lower, and yes, you may be paying in for 20, 20 plus years, but you'll pay, be paying in at a lower level. So then when you do need the policy, it, hope, it, it should cover. You also need to do research on these companies and make sure that they are well capitalized. Because again, if a company is not well capitalized, and 10 years from now they declare Chapter 13 or Chapter 7 bankruptcy, you're out in the cold. So that's not yep. good either. Um, uh, with with regard to housing, I think people need to think ahead in terms of, you know, can I continue to live in this home I'm living in or the townhouse I'm living in or the condominium I'm living in? Uh, will I need to downsize? You know, if I'm living in a townhouse and it's three floors, can I still do the stairs? If I can't do the stairs, what are my options? And, again, if you do this sooner rather than later, you're not going to be acting in sort of any sort of crisis mode, and you're going to say, okay, you know, let me look around. Let me see what kind of what kind of place I would like to move to someday. And you can take your time. You can do this, you know, a um, couple hours on a Sunday and go check one place and another and just kind of do it at your leisure and figure out what you want to do and get some ideas of you know, what are the costs, how much it's going to cost to move to a particular place, whether whether it's a going from a home to a condominium or if you're going from a home to assisted living or, or whether you're going to independent living. I mean, as you know, there's a continuum of care out there, and you can choose various different places and find the one that you think might work best for you and your spouse or just for you if it's just you. Um, you know, do, do you still want to be living in the in the area where you are? I mean, you know, do, or, or are you considering if you're going to downsize moving away somewhere else? And, uh, again, you know, I, I have clients of mine that are like, Go to Florida and immediately buy something. I'm talking about don't buy something right away. Go rent for a little while. See if you like that community. See if it if it, it meets your needs, if it suits you. And, you know, you may find it doesn't. And then, you know what, you've only rented for a couple of months, and then you can check out some other places. I mean, you know, because you want to find a place at some point where you can actually settle. Um, and then, you know, I also tell them, look, you're heading down to Florida. I will provide them with a name of a lawyer in Florida who does this kind of work. Consult with that lawyer and make sure that whatever documents I prepared for you in Massachusetts will be effective in Florida as well. And if not, then let's amend them to make them effective in Florida. You know, just yep. let's make sure that, you know, all of your legal needs are satisfied. Yeah, very the, true. Taking the keys. The taking the keys is one of the most difficult things that I think a, a, a son or daughter has to do. And I always re- recommend, if, if people ask me the question, I've been asked the question numerous times, I always recommend find a third party, find an intermediary to help you with this. Because you know what? If you're the one suggesting to take the keys, you may have a sibling who's going to end up siding with mom or dad, and then you're going to end up with a division in the family. You know what? It's just not worth it. So your first phone call actually should be a to your siblings to make sure you're all on the same page. And if you're not, then find an intermediary to come in who can assess mom or dad's driving and then provide a recommendation and then take it from there. But have a third party be the bad guy, not you. Yeah. And we do have a radio show. We we actually spent two hours, did a special on driving. And Matt Grural has a company um, that is wonderful. So just scroll down the archives. Um, but it was really interesting because we had insurance, we had um, caregivers, we had people with dementia, we had a doctor um, coming from a lot of different angles. We discussed a lot of different things. Um, Ramsey, I can't thank you enough uh, for being with us today. It's really been just fun, fun chatting with you today. How can people get a hold of you? What's the best way for them to to reach out to you? They could call me at 978 
682-1141, or they could email me at Ramsey, R-A-M-S-E-Y, at B as in boy, A as in apple, H as in Harry, R as in Robert, A as in apple, W as in woman, Y as in yellow, L-A-W.com. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much for being with us, and enjoy the rest of your week, okay? It's been a pleasure being on with you, Lori. I had a great time. Thank you. We'll talk soon. Thank you. Bye now. Bye-bye. Before I introduce our next guest, I just want to highlight some information uh, that's popped up during this uh, this past week. Our last radio show, we had Max Wallach on with his co-author. Um, he is a young, uh, young man, 17, who wrote a book, Why Did Grandma Put Her Underwear in the Refrigerator? And it's an absolutely fantastic book to be able to have a conversation with your children. Not only does it teach them lessons, but it reminds us as adults how we really need to deal with things. Very simple, very powerful. Um, One of two books I have that I won't give out to anybody. That's how good I think this book is. Um, Again, it's called Why Did Grandma Put Her um, Underwear in the Refrigerator? So you can find that on Amazon. You can listen to our interview um, in the archives on the radio show, or you can go to the blog as well and uh, find more information on that. Our next radio show, I just want to mention to people, is going to be August 27th, so that's next Tuesday, same time. And we are going to be talking about engaging um, people, and we're going to be talking with someone who has a company called Science for Seniors, and then we are going to have Trevor Mumby on from the UK, and I am like so excited to have him on. He uh, has just some wonderful, wonderful tips on how to engage, and he calls them hand grenades, and how powerful they are, and they're all little things that we do and don't do. We just have to be conscious of when we do them. And they can make a huge, huge difference there. Our last Dementia Chats was on August 13th. That can be found, the recordings, you know, if you go to, to Dementia Chats on Facebook or you can go to um, you can go to the website and uh, find that as well. We talked about the importance of friends and family and relationships. And I am going to be changing the website around. We're doing, in the process of doing some updates The Dementia Chats uh, free webinars that we do is um, the second and fourth Wednesday of every month. And those have become so popular, and people are using those for training programs, for staff. They're using them for support uh, groups, and they're also using them for family conversations. So we're going to make its own tab so they're a little bit easier to find on the website. And then uh, our next Dementia Chats will also be August 27th as well, and we do those at 3 p.m. Eastern Time. Um, On the blog, there were some, um, I thought, great articles. One, I have to do a little bit of bragging about KSTP TV did this just phenomenal piece on Arthur's Memory Cafe, and we have two groups that meet, but they really got to the heart of the importance of these groups. So please go to alzheimerspeaks.com, and then over to the right is our scroll for our blog, and you'll see uh, see it scroll down. You can click right to that article. Um, but they, the, the members were just, they just did a fantastic job. I was so proud of them. There's also an article on uh, cocoa and coconut milk. 
And uh, we've gotten lots of different comments on that. Um, Barry from Indonesia wrote an article on tips for pe people that are diagnosed. I think this has some helpful tips for them. Carol Larkin wrote a nice piece on is it dementia or delirium. Again, there's information on Max Wallach's book. And then there's also a video about a dementia village that CNN, um, CNN did. And that was... Um, a, it's the same village that I had put a video on before, but it's just a little bit more in-depth coverage there. So again, wanted to mention that. If you just tuned in and you're looking for an Alzheimer's Association anywhere in the world, remember you can go to Alzheimer's Disease International and just go ahead and Google them. They'll pop up, or you can go to alzheimerspeaks.com and go to our sponsorship page and find them. You'll also find there the Alzheimer's Studies, which is a new study for tau. Um, that's a clinical trial. Information on Puzzles with Me, um, the Louis Body Association, and uh, Music First with Coral Health. And Music First is all about um, an app, so you can have music with you uh, to shift uh, someone's attitude, which can really, really be helpful. So our next guest here is Amanda Graham Seller, and she is a force in the geriatric healthcare field. For the past 20 years, she specialized in adult day services. Amanda has evolved into this industry as the most recognized expert and advocate in this field. She's also a national speaker, she consults, she's an author, and an educator. Her commitment and passion for improving the adult day service industry is undeniable. Amanda is the founder and CEO of Total Adult Day Healthcare Solutions, the most um, innovative and successful consulting and training program for adult daycare in the nation. Under her leadership, the company has helped over 500 centers nationally and globally open or improve their operations. Amanda has also authored over 10 industry standard manuals for adult day services, and her latest book is called Cognitive um, Optimization Program for Adult Day Services. Welcome, Amanda. Thank you so much. Good morning. How are you? Good, good, good. We've been having just a fun conversation with Ramsey, and I hear you're going to be on his program a little bit later in the year, so that's yeah. great. We'll we'll be able to see you, see you on there as well. Well, I'm really excited to talk to you today and and learn more about what can be done because I think there's so much that can be done to improve services. So why don't we, you know, start with if you can explain what is adult day services uh, for older people? Sure. Well, um, adult day services are, it's, it's a program of services that are provided during the day. There's two major types of adult day programs. One is, has, is a health model and the other one is a, is a social model is what it's called. And the health model will generally have a nurse um, and that's kind of the hallmark is that it has a nurse as part of the program, um, and it will may also have a social worker. It will have an activities program. It may have a physical therapist, an occupational therapist, 
speech therapist, psychological counseling, um, dietary, nutrition, and so that that would be a health program, which would have more more health services, and then there's this the social program, which would generally have, and I'm talking generally, um, every state in our nation has different regulations for adult day services, and mm-hmm. um, this, the social program generally will have a activities program at a minimum, and it may also have social work, it may also have some nursing, it, they also may uh, incorporate other health type services as well. And it's a program where people can go during the day and receive um, support, either health support or social support, or someone to look after their family member, or the person can you know, get out and not have to sit at home all day watching TV or not having any kind of social interaction whatsoever. And a lot of the programs will run, some of the programs run four hours a day. Some programs will run 12 hours a day. And they support people who need um, a break, say uh, some respite services. And they also support people who are work, who are working and they need someone to take care of their family member during the day. And it also helps people who just who live by themselves and need that, that daily support to maintain living in the community for as long as possible. So they're really set up to keep people from being institutionalized, to keep them from going into the hospital, from going into the emergency rooms, but maintaining their health in the community for as long as possible. Okay. Now, do you get into evening programs as well as day programs? I don't. There are some in the country. I don't know a lot about them, but those. That's, okay. That's certainly a new a new program that's coming up. Um, I think it's growing. I think the need is growing, as well as there are programs that serve people on uh, the weekends as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I see it being just a huge, huge need. And um, I know in New York. The Hebrew House um, has one that's just fabulous, and and everyone talked about it, and they were like shocked that no one, you know, because they they've said our doors are open, we will we will bear it all, and share what we've learned through this, um, because the community has really embraced it, and you know it's a way to be able to use a facility twenty four seven versus going and buying a new one for a new business, and. Um, you know, it just makes it, it makes a lot, a lot of sense um, in many ways. So wonderful. So there's there's the health model, and then there's the the social model. Do you see a difference in these two for somebody with dementia, or do you see them, you know, all ages kind of mixed together, or all abilities mixed together in I've, in adult age? I've I've seen both. So a lot of a lot of programs will have a dementia program associated with it. So it's a specialized mm-hmm. dementia program within the program. The health model will serve you know anyone who needs the support, the health support. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the the health model is the one that is generally and again this is when I say generally and and I apologize for not being more specific. Each there are 50 different states with 50 different regulations. So um, in general, the health model is the one that's reimbursed by the Medicaid waiver programs, uh, the managed mm-hmm. care, um, maybe Medicaid straight directly, um, and that's the, the and they pay for all the services at the in the health model. <clears throat> there might be a share of cost associated with it, um, and so that's generally where the the people um, come from with the health model because it does tend to be a little bit maybe a little bit more expensive for a private pay. Mm-hmm. Um, 
so it's that's that's where I've seen uh, kind of the difference in the the um, day model, the social model. There's a lot of dementia-specific social models as well, which can get reimbursed by different programs like the respite programs, the uh, Older Americans Act. Um, there's I had it written down. I'm sorry. The Older Americans Act is one, and um, there's a National Family Caregiver Support Program, which also covers um, some of those respite, which the social daycare um, may, be, may be good for. Both, either one would be fine for the respite programs. Okay, okay. Now, how do, you know, is there a cost for people to attend these, or can can that be covered? Um, it, does it vary from from place to place and state to state, or yeah, the reimbursement? So the if Medicaid is just kind of give it a global. If Medicaid is paying for it, and again that may be through a managed care company, it might be through a waiver program. Um, it's it's reimbursed through the a Medicaid program, um, oftentimes, and the the reimbursement rates are different for every center. So, uh-huh. uh, or every every state may. I'm sorry, I apologize for that. Every state will have a different reimbursement rate for the center. So, some states may reimburse only forty dollars a day, where other states may reimburse as much as seventy to eighty to over a hundred dollars per day for the mm-hmm. health model. Um, the social model, the the cost can run between ten dollars an hour, to, you know, for an hourly rate, up to seventy dollars for a whole day, maybe even eighty to a hundred dollars for an entire day. Mm-hmm. It's 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 varied. Um, it is covered though by I it caught the the tail end of your you uh, Ramsey and yours talk, um, and the long term care insurance does pay for adult day services as well. Okay, so another good reason, uh, people, to to get your paperwork in order that that long term insurance can really help out with with some of these things. And not only can it help the the person stay engaged, but it can give you know the care partner some respite that that definitely is needed because nobody wants to be tied to one another twenty four seven. You know, none of us are are all that special. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, no matter um, I, no matter what we think, <laughs> and I also wanted to say too that if we're, if we're going to talk about reimbursement, who who reimburses the centers? Um, there's also Veterans Administration will will very often pay for adult day services and um, the again the long term care insurance. And there's respite programs too. So if if you check with your local adult day service program. You can ask them, you know, what reimbursement sources do you accept? Okay. Okay, and they're really pretty good. Um, I would imagine about helping people process that paperwork because that all that finance stuff it's just so overwhelming. And I know a lot of the assisted livings and things is just like we'll help step you through this. And I, I would imagine Absolutely. the adult day is the same because they want you to come, and so they've mm-hmm. got to figure out how to streamline this and be able to, um, you know. Speak it in a normal language that everybody can understand, and and if you're talking with somebody and they start using acronyms that you don't understand, just tell them to stop. Just tell them to stop. We in the field, we just start flipping this stuff out. We don't even, you know, we just think everybody knows what we know. So just tell us to stop, and exactly. um, it, you know, and and put us in our place in a nice way, and just uh, just smile and go, what is that? <laughs> right. You know, right. 
and because and you you need to understand what it is um, in great detail. I'm sorry. Exactly. Go ahead. No, and I was just you know just when you were talking, I thought you know it's it's always been a it's always been a frustration for me that there's not more um, reimbursement for adult day services for people who need it. Um, it's it, managed care is now has been in the has been in the industry in some states for a while. They're getting into it a little bit more. The cost savings that this industry provides for the communities, for the state, and for the federal government is astounding. It's, mm-hmm. it's you know, there, there's been, I believe there's currently a uh, piece of legislation in the federal government to allow Medicare to start paying for adult day services as well. It hasn't been passed yet, um, unfortunately, but I know we're, there's a lot of work on it trying to get it through. It's it's because it's such a cost saving. If if I'm a managed care company and as a managed care company I want to save money and I can send someone to an adult day healthcare center instead of sending instead of having them stay at home where they're not getting any support whatsoever, they go into the emergency room, then they go into the hospital, then they go out of the hospital, get home health, they might go into a nursing home after that for a mm-hmm. short-term re- rehab stay, they're discharged from the nursing home, uh, you know, instead of the home health. Then they get home health, and then they're discharged from home health, and the, the the process starts again. The amount of money that now has been spent on that one person who had they been able to go to adult day services, had adult day services been paid for through another revenue stream or allowing, you know, no, more people to get in there, because it is costly. Um mm-hmm would save so much money, say, for Medicare, just Medicare, or any of the managed care companies who are looking to save money. It's, it's such an, uh, an amazing program, to, to, you know, and it's, it's so humanistic that it takes care of people during the day, and they're not alone, mm-hmm. and it's just it's amazing. Yeah, I have a, a couple of people in our memory cafe um, that I work with, that attend, and one of them is a man by the name of Bill, and Bill absolutely loves going to Adult Day, and he's very, very social, very interactive, and he, the reason he loves to go is he's got a buddy, um, he goes two days a week, but on one day for sure his buddy's there and they play cribbage. And mm-hmm. Bill can still play cribbage. He can still count, you know. Yeah. And he, uh, Marlene says, yeah, I can tell if he's had a good day or not, you know. And and, and that is all summed up by if he won in the cribbage game <laughs> or not. And it's kind of a standing joke with them. But, you know, he says, you know, I like it. There's good food. People are really respectful. We have fun. Um, you know, so sometimes people think that this is just for, you know, the only people that go to adult daycare, you know, sit in wheelchairs and drool and can't talk. No, no, And no, that no, is no. far from what it far. is. So can can you explain um, to the audience a little bit more of, of who goes and why they go? Sure. Um, a lot of people go, there's there's so many, it's so, so many different reasons that people would go, Um Say, say someone has diabetes and depression and arthritis. So they may have functional impairments that they're not able to, you know, they need support at the home. They're having trouble um, getting around the house. They can't really get out anymore. They can't get transportation. So they end up kind of sitting down and watching TV all day and really mm-hmm. not getting out. They're not eating well. They're not taking care of themselves. They may not be checking their blood sugars as they should. Um 
and if you don't exercise when you have arthritis, you know, it gets worse. If you don't exercise when you have depression, it gets worse. The diabetes needs exercise as well. Um, these are just, you know, one little little aspect of adult day services. So that person would be perfect to go. They would get socialization, which would help with the depression. They'd get exercise, which would help with all three of the problems. They'd get support with maybe learning new ways of opening a jar or cooking. Someone would cook for them. They would get a nutritionist, at least one nutritional meal, if not two, and snacks that are are that would go along with the diet. They'd get education regarding what kind of diet they should be eating, what kind of foods they shouldn't be eating, on exercising and keeping themselves healthy. Um, they would get uh, support from the nursing staff on taking their blood sugars, and someone would be monitoring the blood sugars to make mm-hmm. sure that they, they didn't uh, you know go out of control or that they were all being taken care of, um, contacting the physician if there was a problem, uh, socialization supports cognitive you know cognitive um, health the uh, depression you know the depression because now the social the socialization is in there they may also be getting counseling at the center some some states require psychological counseling services um, you're just looking at a healthier person somebody who has dementia or early early onset dementia they would benefit from the program that they could go and continue to get stimulated. The family member who may need to stay with them most of the day or is concerned about leaving them alone would then be able to leave the home and feel comfortable that they could leave the home and their their family member would be taken care of and in a safe environment. And they also get a lot of a lot of activity and a lot of stimulation, dancing, music, um, you know, the, the nursing support it's just you know it's so powerful these these programs on how they take care of people um so it does they don't have to be cognitively impaired it could be you know some real health issues that they're having but their their cognitive is fine or they have or maybe somebody who's got you know dementia that's in, in a higher stage or higher level and they instead of again you know having to go into a nursing home or having to move into assisted living neither you know nothing's wrong with either of them if it's if it's if there's no other options or it doesn't work out at an adult day service center but it's 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 a place someone can go before they need to be institutionalized or maybe they never need to be institutionalized and they can stay at the adult center and get really taken care of during the day and their family mm-hmm. knows that they're safe yeah. and there's also someone to watch them so if if the van comes to pick up the participant at the house, and the participant isn't there. Somebody's you, there's somebody understands what's going on. Someone to watch them during the day and make sure they're okay. Exactly, and you know that was a um, important statement when you said you know family knows that they're safe. Mm-hmm. One of the biggest things that I think we overlook is that sense of calm. Because um, kids and friends, I mean, we worry about people. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's in families. That's what we do. And so we really need to take that to another level and realize, you know, what it can do for us if we know that somebody's safe. And a lot of times if we approach it in that in that sense, um, the battle is over for someone who's resisting to go because they they know you care. Exactly. You know, they know bottom line, this isn't because you're trying to get rid of me. This is because you want to keep me 
active and and healthy and all of those types of things and and um especially for long distance caregivers you know even more so and uh you know can be very very important um now people can also in in some if i'm not mistaken um can get like showers and things like that yeah, too is that correct mm-hmm. there's a lot of centers that absolutely there's centers that have showers there there's centers that have uh, hairdressers who come in um, barbers who come in take care of you know all, all kinds of things. There's centers that take the participants shopping to the you know to the grocery store, and mm-hmm. there's centers that have uh, you know vegetable trucks or you know uh, produce trucks come to the center, which I mean just being able to get out of the house to get your groceries it's something we all take for granted. If you are you know if you if you your um, mobility is impaired or your cognition is impaired or you you can't drive anymore, it's mm-hmm. How do you get to the grocery store? How do you how do you get? And something as simple as just getting your food becomes you know exceptionally difficult. So here's centers that allow for that or give you know give that to the participants. Having somebody take a shower and you know it's it's showers are where a lot of falls occur and that's such a huge problem with this population. And falls cause you know um, cost so much to all of us with the Medicare and you know, all all the insurance costs if someone has a fall. Um, so it's helping somebody take a shower and get clean and, and shaved and, you know, just, just the uh, ADLs, I know, activities of daily living support that's provided at the centers as well would bring in so much comfort to a family member to know that they're taken care of. And even the participant who really would like to have a shower but is too afraid to maybe go in the shower. Yeah. Yeah, say oh, it's, I'm okay, I'm okay, but not always. Mm-hmm. And in showers, you know, Ibera brought up a good point. There's a lot of falls, but there's a lot of fighting <laughs> over showers. Mm-hmm. And um, one of the things that that I found, and I mention this every time someone says a shower, and we're talking about dementia, is talking about even changing out the shower heads to rain shower heads and having them be handheld. Because the the power of the water hitting them, you know, them walking into that knot, even though we see it, we know it's there, we've turned it on, you can hear it, the whole nine yards, um, they see it, but they're they're not taking it in all the time and processing it. So when they walk under it and all of a sudden it's hitting them, it can really scare them. Mm-hmm. And so a gentler, you know, uh, uh Shower can make a huge difference, and one that's handheld so they can sit, so maybe they won't fall and, and take their shower sitting down can make a big difference. Having somebody there, um, allowing allowing there to be help so that you don't have to do it all, so that you can still have that relationship as a spouse or a son or a daughter. Um, families struggle with these things big time and it, it gets exhausting and you know some people don't want to see their parent nude and their parent might not want them you yep. know to be to be nude in front of them so sure. you know respect the that dignity as well um, not only theirs but yours what are you good at and you know if you're not good at some of these things let someone else do it um, so it doesn't drain the core 
of your relationship. Now, I know not all listeners are going to be able to afford to do that as well, but it's food for thought even when you're sorting out who's going to be responsible for you know what with family and friends. Don't just automatically assign things, but give some thought to it. You know, what is somebody good at and what do what do they excel at and what do they enjoy? Cuz a lot of us are good at things, but we don't have the passion behind it because it's just something we do. But And you can be not so good at something, but be really passionate about the engagements, and it doesn't matter, you know. So, um, yeah. And it, and it know, comes down to the, the person-centered. Why, you know, when we, that's the one thing of adult days, the, one of the big, um, push isn't the right word, but one of the great, one of the wonderful philosophies that's embraced by um, adult day services is the person-centered care. And that mm-hmm. is, and I heard Ramsey talking about it a little bit too, is that it's you understand, you know, get an understanding of why, instead of just trying, oh, gosh, mom needs a shower, let's get her in the shower and let's get it done with, why is she resistant? You know, is it because yep. she doesn't want you to see her naked? Is it because you don't really want to see her naked and she's picking up on that, your discomfort, your stress, your anger? Is it because she had a fall and she's afraid to fall again? You know, is it is it because she's always been a very modest person and it's difficult? It is, it's the same way in the center when they're giving somebody showers or taking care of them. The wonderful thing about adult day services is that people really get to know the participants. So it's not like they're mm-hmm. at home health where they're in and out and they have a caregiver who may come in and may change every other week. Um, they really get to know all the staff, and the staff gets to know them too. And part of person-centered care is talking with the family members and talking with the participant, finding out what kind of work they did before and you know what their interests were, what their family were, was like, what their education was, all the psychosocial uh, interview that you would provide at an adult day center to get that understanding. And then to look at it from the participant's point of view, like you said, they can't hear and they may not be able to feel the water the way mm-hmm. they did in the past. So it's surprising. And to, to have that patience and that understanding and to provide that um, to someone who is uncomfortable just in taking a shower is is such a gift. Yeah, yeah, it's um, it, it really is, and I, and why we fight this stuff sometimes is amazing. And but most of the time, what I hear from from people, it's money, money that stops them. Mm-hmm. They don't think they've got the funds, and they don't reach out to see if there's support. Um, and so, ha- have the conversation, investigate, find out for sure. You know, and and do it before you need it. You know, we have to stop being afraid of stuff. And it may be, you know, it may take pooling the money. It may have have the, you know, the family members each put in, you know, I don't know, depending on the, you know, $50 a week and, you know, have, depending on how much they can put together, have mom go to a center once, you know, once a week if there is no funding sources for this. And I'm I'm really a proponent of there needs to be more funding sources for this program because ultimately mm-hmm. it will if if it's not funded now, they're we're going to be funding it somewhere else along the line either through the Medicare or through the Medicaid um down the line. So why not pay for more of these services now? well and keep people healthy and independent for a longer time instead of institutionalized for the last 20 years of their life you know it's exactly. less expensive to pay for adult day services for 20 years than it is to have pay for a nursing home for 20 years and i it's it seems ridiculous that we don't there is not more funding for people who can't afford it and who aren't 
don't are, their income isn't low enough to um, um, qualify for Medicaid services, mm-hmm. or and their their income isn't high enough to pay for private you know for private pay or to, to private pay at the center. Yep. Now let's. I may talk have taken about it to a different direction. I'm sorry. Oh, no, 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 yeah, no, no. I think I, it, you can never go in a wrong direction here. Let okay. me tell you. I, I just firmly believe the conversation goes where the conversation is supposed to go. I, that's just my the way I look at things. Because um, there's always somebody out there that needs to hear whatever is being said. You know, I, it amazes me. I've I've done programs and we've gone way off topic, and someone mm-hmm. will email me and go, "Oh my gosh, I needed to hear that." <laughs> so it's oh, like I, that, that stuff does not bother me at all. There's there's somebody out there listening right now, or will be listening later, that that needs whatever it is that comes out of our mouth. Um, and I, I just I just think that that it makes it much easier to live life that way. You know, <laughs> you know yeah. Um. The other thing I wanted to talk to, because I'm sure there are some listeners thinking, gosh, you know, I, we don't have one of those in our community. How would I How would I start one of those? Could I start one of those? What, yes. what do you say to those people? Open one. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, think, I think it's a fabulous business. Um, it is, uh, it's, it can, it will take work, um, to start, you know, understand if you're good at working with with the elderly, um, what population specifically you'd like to serve. If you'd have a mixed population, how big of a center you'd like to have. Um, you need to be smart about it. Um, I've had people call me who wanted to open a center, you know, with very very little money and uh, a very small center, and I thought mm-hmm. that's just that won't that won't work. You want to and. I hope it's not a horrible thing for me to say, but there's there's actually a reason behind it is that centers that open and close and and you know take everything are not going to to serve the the larger population well and if you can open a center that's well funded and is big enough to take care of many people and will stay in business for a long time, then you are then serving the the popu- you know the populace very well and that's that's my goal is that we have good mm-hmm. centers. That are well funded, that are you know not on a shoestring, so that services are not being cut in order to, you know, either make money for the the owners or um, because they're not they're not surviving. That we can actually, it, and it's it's completely doable that we can have a good center. You can own a good center that has enough participants per day to give you the profit margin, so that you can ha- you can live a good life and. Um, you know, maybe not own a yacht, but have a good life, and mm-hmm. be able to provide really good services for your participants. And the, the good services don't have to be expensive, but a, a, a well-funded center doesn't have that added stress, which is it will always be picked up by the participants, I think, as well. Um, it's the first. The first step would be to look on the internet and find your state's regulations. Um, we do sell a starter package. Which includes your state's regulations, um, a sample floor plan, uh, some operating budgets for different size centers, um, some other 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 and more information for uh, adult day services and opening a center up. Um, but it's most also most states have a an association, an adult day association. There's also a national association. And all these are also um, other resources to look at if you're interested in opening a center. 
which I, okay. I we need more centers. In our entire country, there's only about 5,000 adult day health care centers. If we look wow. across the nation, that's only, what, my math, 100 centers per state? Is that right? Yeah, not enough. <laughs> Hundred centers per state, and look at yeah, look at what's going on with our our um, our population. They yep. need we we're living f- so much longer, and we need these 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 supports and this you know it can also be thought of a well. People think of it as a place to go, you know, um, to kind of get, just get watched. But really, they are there's this health component that is so critical of maintaining health for as long as possible, and it doesn't take much to maintain but it costs so much to treat. It really does. What what's the average size? Is there an average size of one of these things? Or I I don't know. There's our National Association probably knows and there's a, there's a really great uh, MetLife uh, report. I would say I would say 50 is about an average size. Somewhere between 40 mm-hmm. and 50. Centers are as large as 300 and they're as small as 20. Okay. Um, and, I think, and, I think and, the center go ahead. I was going to say, in 20, it's not small when you've got people with needs, you know, it's, but it's a little bit more quaint. Um, so I, I, are you seeing many of these in community centers at all, or are they separate entities? Are, are you seeing any changes in trends? Can you give us any ideas there? Managed care getting into it is, I think, one of the – I'm in California, That's and we just got managed – managed care has just taken over. Um, it used to be paid directly by – here it's Medi-Cal, um, mm-hmm. so a big trend would be the um, the managed care becoming the payer sources. But I think that's that's across the board for a lot of Medicaid programs. Anyway, it's the managed care coming in. And my hope is that as managed care really gets to see what it is these centers do, that they mm-hmm. will then rec- they will then begin begin paying for more services. If I have a Medicare managed care, if I'm if I belong to a Medicare managed care. Um, don't have my medic my med I don't have medical I just or Medicaid I just have the med medic man <laughs> the <laughs> Medicare managed care, Medicare managed care did I, tell you, I say that ten times fast oh, if I just yeah. have that if I just have that managed care might say wow you know here's Amanda who has been hospitalized for three falls in the last year what's mm-hmm. going on and nobody's treating the the symptom or that nobody's treating the reason for the fall we're treating the symptoms of the fall so why yeah. am i falling and adult day services can address the fall issue and it would be less expensive and i'm hoping managed care begins to see this it's less expensive for managed care to have me go to an adult day service center and have someone address my reasons for falling which can be a you know myriad of issues of from depression to gait to, you know, I'm standing up too fast and I have hypertension. I'm not taking my medications correctly. Um, I'm not eating well. There's all different reasons for why people fall. Just treating me in the hospital is not going, and at home health is not going to stop stop it from happening. Mm-hmm. And so I'm seeing, I'm hope, I'm maybe I'm I'm hoping for a trend that the managed care companies will then begin to see the value of adult day services. Somebody who has dementia and who is eligible for uh, in for nursing home. Um, mm-hmm. in our as in another we have a um a demonstration project coming up here in California and I'm sure the other states many other states do as well that the managed care companies are also going to have to cover long term care services. Mm-hmm. So if I'm if I if 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 
I have dementia and my I'm eligible for nursing home services, but my family would like to keep me at home, it's a lot less expensive for the managed care company to pay for my adult day service than it would be for them to pay for nursing home services. Yeah. Now, when you say management service, can you define that for us again? I, I just want to make managed, sure that I'm clear. Managed care? Yeah. You managed care? So managed, managed care is a um, – so instead of Medicaid – there's Medicare managed – and I may um, – this is going to be extremely general. So Medicare managed care would be um, a company that instead of Medicare paying your bills – the managed mm-hmm. care company pays your bills, and they oversee all of the services that are provided to you. So where if you went to the doctor before, um, Medicare would then, the doctor would bill Medicare. The doctor would then bill the managed care company. A lot of managed care companies, you have to see a doctor within the companies uh, who's contracted with the company. It's like mm-hmm. an insurance it's like an insurance company or an HMO. You can think of it. Okay, that's what I wanted to. I, I wanted to make sure that um, that we were all clear on on who is this entity. <laughs> and there's I lots know that of them. There's, there's multiples. Yeah. Yeah. And they're so, usually private, and they're for uh-huh. profit. So they're mm-hmm. looking to save money, and this is and they they keep they keep tight controls on services that are provided because they're trying to save money. But as they, as my hope is that as they begin to say that, see that adult day services do save money, and not just the health, not just the health component, but also the social, the social component, that maybe somebody doesn't need all the services provided at the adult day healthcare center, but maybe they do need, you know, to go someplace every day so the family can go out and work. If there's dementia or Alzheimer's, then mm-hmm. the participant can go. They don't need. They may not need the full health services. They just need some place to go during the day to have an activity program and a nutritious meal and the socialization and the stimulation. Yep, yep. Which makes which makes a lot of sense. It's just everything just gets so complicated, um, you know, throughout the whole system in terms of there's there's so many levels and variables and you know one hand doesn't always know what the other hand is doing and then yeah. you add the family dynamics and it gets topsy-turvy pretty quick um how about transportation because that can be an issue for a lot of people you know it's like this would be great but how do we get them there do they have to drive them or do these places have their own transportation most centers have transportation um mm-hmm. some some you would pay privately for, and some are covered as part of the cost of the center. And they they mm-hmm. do they do porch to porch or door door to door service. And they and which is nice because if I live in if I live in California and my mother's in North Carolina, um, and I want to know that she's been picked up, and someone I get a call from the adult day healthcare and say, you know, your mom didn't show up today. That's that's a huge value to me. And. Mm-hmm. Having that transport, mom can't get to the center by herself. I may not be able to take her because I live far away or because I start work at 7 o'clock in the morning, you know, and she's okay for an hour or two by herself, and then I know the van's going to come pick her up and take her back. So that's mm-hmm. that's a great feature. And understanding that, knowing that um, the people who use adult day services require transportation, most centers have transportation or can help arrange for transportation. A lot of cities and counties have transportation services within the county as well. And so mm-hmm. that the center should be able to help you with that that process getting getting the um transportation. 
Okay, great. Now, um, if someone out here listening does want to start up a place, you do consulting, would you would be able to be hired to help them kind of maneuver yes. through all of this? We okay, mm-hmm. we do wonderful. Most, most of the manuals that I've written are for, we've got policy and procedure manual, we've got uh, the forms manuals, uh, care plan manuals for uh, multiple disciplines, Lots of books to help you get started as well in the consulting. We've got our starter kit, which I mentioned, um, which kind of is a, we've got a starter kit and then we've got a startup in a box package. And the starter mm-hmm. kit is kind of an introduction to adult day services in, this, in the specific state that you're in, an overview, the the regs, those kind of things. And then our, our startup in a box is a, a suite of products, of manuals that most centers require to get opened. Okay, wonderful. So, what a wow! That's that's fantastic to be able to um, cut through the chase with a lot of this stuff. Yeah, and it can be and it can be it can be complicated. I'm working on a policy and procedure right now for Maryland, a center in Maryland, and you know I'm writing it. I, there's two. We sell two different types. One is a do-it-yourself, the startup in a box, a do-it-yourself where you get the information and you would fill in the uh, you'd fill in the information specific to your site and specific to your state's regulations then we also have a customized version as well where we would customize the policy procedure and the forms and anything else that's required specifically to your center and to your state's regulations and that comes mm-hmm. with a guarantee that it'll pass your state's um regulatory boards and we're working on one for Maryland right now and it's you know it's 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 a it's a goodly amount of work <laughs> yeah. to make sure well, everything's in there and it's an operations manual and, you know, people are well taken care of through their, their – I'm a believer in, in paperwork being uh, as integral to our process as well. Well, and it, you know, you're dealing with the whole bureaucracy. I mean, government's involved in terms of, you know, because you're going to have quality control checks and all of that kind of stuff. So, I mean, this you just – this isn't – you know, starting an, an in-home day program type thing. You know, it's no, it's, uh, have, it's regulated. It's well yeah. regulated. Most states, some states not as much, but some states are highly regulated. Mm-hmm. Now, tell us a little bit about your latest book, Cognitive Optim- Optimization Program for Adult Day Services. Great. Um, I can't. Look, I'll just start at the very beginning. So I. Um, I don't know if you mentioned my I'm a I'm a licensed social worker in California so I have a master's degree and it's my emphasis is in uh, geriatrics. So I started mm-hmm. um you know really I I really love working with geriatrics and as, as hopefully as you can tell or maybe probably um I love adult day services and I I love adult day services because they take care of people so well and it's such a perfect option for so many people. Um, to to remain living in the community and then to save money to our con- to our you know to our country and then to the states as well um, and as part of part of the requirements in California is that I have to take ongoing uh, continuing education units to maintain my license and a couple of years ago I was reading through the 2010 um, Alzheimer's report and what I read is that they they had, there were a lot of studies on uh, health and lifestyle. Uh, choices and um, ways of of living your life that um, have an impact on dementia, <laughs> and so at that, and I'm reading through these different uh, um, lifestyle choices and um, things people do 
that affect the dementia rate. And I was looking at them and going, oh, we do this in adult day services. We do this. So nutrition was one, um, socialization, you know, cognitive stimulation, exercise, emotional health, healthy sleep, and then, you know, the maintenance of good health in general. Those all have a, have a correlation to, they've all been studied and, and have a correlation to dementia. So I'm reading this and thinking, oh, my gosh, we adult day health care and adult day, adult day care is dementia preventing. And we, I can't really make that statement, of course, but mm-hmm. I, I was getting very excited to read through this, this report on all these studies that were done on all kinds of services that are, already, that are already provided in adult day adult day services and also in senior centers and also in assisted living programs they can all adopt this this type of 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 you know these type of services and supporting people's lifestyle um choices within this um so the book so this book is written for adult day centers um it's written for assisted living centers say senior centers and it goes over um so it's based on the latest research into dementia and Alzheimer's prevention, and it's mm-hmm. full of activities and programming suggestions to support um, the, partic- the participant's highest level of cognitive health. So it also includes in-services for staff, in-services for the participants, um, and also a, a, a decent uh, section on information about the science and rationale behind the program itself. So it's, it's mm-hmm. a whole program for these these centers to to give give what we're already doing a little more oomph. So we're already mm-hmm. providing nutrition. We already provide diet. We already provide meals. There's a, the studies show that the Mediterranean diet actually has an impact. There's a there's a, a theory that 50% of dementias are preventable um, based on how how we live our how we live our lives. So if we get enough, so exercise and exercise has been shown to uh, there's like no question about the exercise. The other ones are correlations, but exercise has been proven to have an effect on, on dementia, either slowing the process of, of dementia or um, preventing it. Um, so all the all the adult day centers and most assisted living, all these programs can incorporate an exercise program into their center. And the targeted targeted cognitive stimulation, there's there's ways of stimulating the brain that are that are better than others. So these programs on brain stimulation. And it's it's the whole program is is an integrated program of services and education and support for cognitive optimization. Wow, so lots there's just lots going on, lots it going is. on, and um, it's it's all very um, very exciting. I, I I have to tell you though that um, you know when you said you were passionate about this, it really doesn't come across in your voice at no. all. <laughs> No, I'll I'll have to work on that a little bit. Yeah, but it's it's so nice to have somebody out there in the corner of adult day because I I like you I very much agree that this is a a, it's a wonderful resource and it's just not being tapped into and you know I get so frustrated because you know why aren't we funding more of these but you know Mm -hmm. with so many things. Um, the research hasn't been done to prove, yeah. you know, to prove that it really works. And um, it needs to get done. Is there any grant work going on to help there, fund? Uh, there's, there, there are grants. There are, there are some studies that are out there right now. One of the studies that's being done 
Um, I know California's got one that they're just in the in the infancy stages of, um, and then the National Association. And I apologize, National Association, if I blow this, but it it has to do with the stress. They're they're testing the stress levels of the caregivers of mm-hmm. per, of people who are going who go to adult day services. So oh, they're, and they're doing it through a saliva. Again, I apologize if I'm just messing this up completely national, but I'm doing my best. <laughs> <laughs> if they happen to be listening, um, they're taking a saliva. This is they take a saliva swab um, mm-hmm. and actually test the chemicals, the stress hormone chemicals, and before and then after so much time. And there's actually been shown. It's again, it's, it hasn't been published yet, but it's about they show that by going to adult day services, there actually is a decrease in the stress. Um, hormone of caregivers and caregiver stress is is a major influencer of institutionalization. So if mm-hmm. somebody's if, if somebody's a very stressful caregiver, the chances of a participant being um, a, institutionalized is much much higher. So that's, mm-hmm. that's one of the tests to show that that it really does decrease um, uh, the stress levels of the caregivers. And there isn't you know we're we're, we're even though we've been around for twenty thirty years the industry forty years maybe at this point some in some states we're still in our infancy we still need to get ourselves out there need to show that you know this industry is 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 works and although the studies specifically within the industry haven't been done studies showing what we do in our centers mm-hmm. have proven to have health benefits or have proven to be dementia um, preventing or delaying the progression of mild cognitive impairment, um, those studies have been done. And as centers and as people who are proponents of this industry, we need to know what those studies are so that we can say, look, all these studies show that what we are doing is, you know, supporting the better health of our participants. That's that's kind of a beginning stage. I feel too is the more we know, which is what I tried to do with, which is what I which is what I did with the book. Is these are the studies that support what we already do. Wonderful. Um, we just have a couple of minutes left. Is there anything, any last minute thing that you want to tell people? Otherwise, we'll give them your um, your contact information, and uh, hopefully, they're just pounding down your doors to open up an adult day <laughs> in their area. It would be great. I would. I would love. You know, I'd love anybody who wants to contact me. I. I. I could, obviously, I can talk about this all day long, um, and I. I really, truly believe that it is where we need to go as a country with our healthcare. It's more on the, you know, and people said this for years. More on the wellness side of of things and um, supporting families and caregivers to take care of people. So we're not. Straining our our loved ones by having to you know by making them move somewhere they may not want to live and moving away from their loved ones and you know supporting our our we you know we need the we need smart choices of how we spend our money in healthcare and I think that this is this is it. I so agree. I so agree. Well, how do people get a hold of you, Amanda? Um, the best way is through uh, my website, and I can give you. Let me give you the address, and you can they can look look it up, and then I'll also give my email address. So the website is www.totala as an apple, d as in dog, h as in hat, c as in cat. dot com. So it's totaladhc.com. and my website is a a g s for Amanda Graham Sillers at total. ADHC.com. 
Okay, wonderful. Well, I thank you so much for being with us today. It was really a pleasure you know to get to know you. Lori, thank you so, so much for, for having me on and, um, you know, really being open to Adult Day Services and helping to get the word out. I appreciate it so much. Thank you. Well, thank you. You have a great week. And when you talk to me and Nicole, tell her I say hi. I hear you guys have been chatting. <laughs> we have been. We have been. Thank you. Well, good. We'll talk soon. Right. Thanks. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Well, that was a very interesting conversation. I just I just love doing these shows because I learned so much, and hopefully you are as well. Um, I did put in the chat box um, a link to the KSTP um, TV feature that was done on our Memory Cafe. I would love if you guys would copy and paste it and go watch it. It'll take three or four minutes of your time. And then, in addition, if you wouldn't mind making a comment with your thoughts, I think the more that the media knows people need these and people are commenting and hitting on it, hopefully we'll be able to get more coverage for that. Again, if you're looking for an Alzheimer's Association anywhere in the world, go to Alzheimer's Disease International. And don't forget about the Taos studies. You can find them on Facebook under the Alzheimer's team, or you can just Google Alzheimer's studies. If you're dealing with Lewy body dementia, Again, check them out. They've got their own association. And we will talk to you next time. Enjoy your week. Bye now. Hi, everyone. This is Meredith from the Senior Fitness with Meredith podcast, where I discuss all things for seniors. From fitness, your health and wellness journeys, how to be all over strong and beyond. I also have my mini podcast called Motivation with Meredith. It's a great, quick, motivational pick-me-up for your days. Join me. Listen now. Search for Senior Fitness with Meredith on your favorite podcast platform.